Mover Nation, welcome to the Wednesday Wrap. I'm Collier Landry, your host. This is Moving Past Trauma Live. We have a great show in store for you guys, or I have a great show in store for you guys. Uh, heavy subject matter, but we're going to cover this whole uh, Ruby Frankie situation, the Jody Hildebrand involvement. The husband has recently spoken out. A lot of people are talking about it. A lot of you asked me to weigh in on this. So I'm like, you know what? Here I am to provide, you know, unfortunately, my rather accurate analysis of having been a childhood survivor and been uh, dealt with neglect and, and things of that nature that we can't say on YouTube. But, um, you know, this is something that I have a lot of experience in. And I think what really motivated me to want to talk about this was I heard the 911 tapes that were played. So that really affected me. Also going to talk about this guy, Cavalcanti, that was just apprehended this morning in Pennsylvania. The manhunt was on for this guy for two weeks now. Also want to cover Mila and Ashton's sorry, not sorry letter to um, letter to the judge that they thought would never really be released. What is this sort of psychology behind it? I read the letters. Uh, we can read them here today. It's pretty interesting. Um, and also what's going on in the land of Alec Murdaugh, of course, because that is always great fodder. I'm Collier Landry. This is Moving Past Trauma Live. Let's get into it. Testimony continued today in the most notorious criminal trial. In when I was 12 years old, my testimony sent my father to prison for murdering my mother. This podcast serves as a type of therapy and reconciliation for myself, and it is my hope that it helps anyone who has experienced deception, betrayal, and dark trauma. I'm Collier Landry, and this is Moving Past Trauma. Mover Nation, what's going on? Happy Wednesday. Welcome to the Wednesday Wrap. I'm your host, Collier Landry. This is Moving Past Trauma, as you heard. So I am here, of course, to weigh in on my uh, <clears throat> my sort of acumen on all types of things uh, related to, I don't know, true crime, pop culture, et cetera, et cetera. If you're new to the show, that's me. That's who you learned. I was a child witness against my father who took the life of my mother, and um, it was a whole debacle. I made a film about it. It's called A Murder in Mansfield. You can get it in the link in the description box below if you want to check it out. I do talk about it on other videos. So if you're new, welcome to the channel. Please remember to hit like and subscribe. Uh, welcome to all my channel members, my Patreon supporters. Thank you all for joining us today. Uh, lots to talk about. So lots of you have reached out with this whole, um, and I was discussing it uh, with my adoptive mother this morning, Susan. She's like, have you thought, have you thought about talking about this Ruby Frankie case? And I said, yeah, I have. Um, and of course, I started doing a deep dive down into it. And um, I really, uh, I was really shook because I, the child who escaped, right? So for those of you that don't know, so Ruby Frankie had a show on YouTube, which, um, which has since been off the air, but the show was called Eight Passengers. And she was a mommy vlogger. And I don't know when the show was officially taken off by YouTube, but like many people, and I watched a docu-series recently, and I do not remember what it was called, uh, because I, I do I do look into all things true crime, but I don't necessarily like follow it with like this real heated, impassioned sort of, uh, you know, I'm like really into it. But I am fascinated uh, in what makes people tick, and I think a lot of us are, right? 
But uh, there was another YouTube mom who had foster children that she was putting through a very similar circumstance. And uh, that channel was obviously taken off the, off the air. Uh, she was had been arrested and then she ended up passing away from cardiac arrest while in custody, et cetera, et cetera. That's a whole other topic for a whole other day. I think I might've actually spoken about it not to a few months back, but uh, anyways, here's another mommy vlogger who was, you know, and there are, look, there are tons of channels on here on YouTube that have children that kids are playing with toys, making millions of dollars. And um, I don't begrudge them. I mean, I don't begrudge somebody putting their family and it was a fairly like mundane channel. Like here we are eating dinner and here we are doing a group activity. Um, but her and her husband, they had, they had six children. It was called eight passengers and it documented her, their life. And they had up like 2.1 million subs here on YouTube and they had a very budding channel. And she would often talk about how much money they made off the, off the channel, which is, you know, whatever your opinion is, is that, you know, they're, they're putting their life out there online and they have a following for it. So there you go. Much like reality television shows, right? But uh, this was a self-produced one. So, um, they, uh, th there was a lot of speculation and I had watched some other videos from other creators that had been from several years ago where people had often speculated about the treatment of the children in the home. Well, obviously as of like a couple of weeks ago, um, one of the, so David, give you a little background. So this woman, Ruby Frank or Frankie, however you pronounce it, she had this channel, eight passengers and the, the channel was taken down in, on YouTube, I, I believe a couple of years ago. Um, and she partnered with her business partner named, um, named Jody Hildebrandt. And Jody Hildebrandt was a therapist and together they had started or she had brought her into the fold on her connections channel, which, you know, very cheekily was spelled with an X connections. And, um, they had done this channel and the channel was about, uh, you know, they had admitted things of like, uh, Ruby had talked on the channel about how maybe her kids were too spoiled because of the money she had made from the YouTube channel, et cetera, et cetera, or had become entitled. And Jody Hildebrandt was very, was very impassioned about sharing her, her opinions on truth and the proper way to raise children. Now, what had happened is this, they had partnered in 2022. And at that same time, uh, Ruby, her husband, Kevin, and her were going through a separation and she essentially had asked him and told him that he needed to leave the house. It was the best thing for their marriage so they could heal as a family. And she didn't want him participating in any activities with the children and, uh, basically said, you know, it's only going to be detrimental to, to, uh, their relationship and their healing as a family. Which to me is a massive red flag, <laughs> red flag. Uh, and, and Kevin, Mr. Frankie complied, obviously probably wanting the best for his family, but also probably not thinking through logically how his wife could be potentially exploiting these children. Uh, so he is lawyered up and his lawyer has come out and said, look, everybody seems to be putting, pointing the finger towards this Jody Hildebrand as being the Svengali of all of this, uh, that she was the one who was orchestrating and even manipulating, um, manipulating Ruby Frankie. 
now or Ruby Frank, how are you pronounce it? This Ruby character. So, um, I, I have a big thing on like accountability and people taking responsibility for their actions. I don't quite understand how, if you are, if you have a family, how someone can come in the middle of it. Right. And I understand if it's like a spouse or it's a romantic partner, you know, obviously we have all heard about, you know, girlfriends coming in or the, the family is divorced and the girlfriend comes in who's, you know, or, or boyfriend comes in and sort of drives a wedge in the family uh, or the, the, you know, the new husband or entity or, or, or wife comes in and drives a wedge between the family unit, uh, the divorced partner, et cetera, et cetera. We've all heard how that has happened, but to have a quote business partner, um, oh, and thank you so much. Sherry Duncan, you say it's Frank. <laughs> Good to know. Because I've heard it pronounced two ways. I heard the lawyer pronounce it Frankie, <laughs> and I've heard the news agencies pronounce it Frankie, and I've heard other people pronounce it Frank. So thank you so much. I try to pronounce everyone's name right. It's just like Murdoch, right? I kept saying Murdoch, 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 and then some people pronounce it Murdoch, and then his own lawyers pronounce it Murdoch. So who knows? Who, who knows? Um, but uh, anyways, back to what I was saying. So now, now they have come in, uh, this, this, this Jody Hildebrand, and she is sort of being, having the finger pointed at her by all parties as being the Svengali. So I want to play a quick little video because this comes from, uh, this came from a snippet from Long Crime Network. They posted an ex, uh, a, they posted an excerpt of their Connections YouTube channel where they're talking about trust, which I think is really, really interesting because, um, well, <laughs> is this really a trustworthy individual? I mean, I don't know. Uh, all of this is very, very, very suspect to me, but, uh, let's hear what these ladies have to say. Trust. What is trust? Where does trust come in? The principle is I am responsible to be worthy of trust. So I am the one that generates trust. I am the one that generates safety. It comes from me. So if Ruby comes and she interacts with me, I don't look at Ruby and say, oh, is she trustworthy? I'm not looking at her, I'm looking at me and saying, am I honest, responsible, and humble? Am I a safe person? Mm -hmm. And then she is the beneficiary of me being safe and me being full of trust. Well, that is interesting, isn't it? So this is all, this channel is, ge is geared towards children and, and is geared towards parents who are trying to build better relationships. Now, fact of the matter is, um, a lot of people, uh, a lot of people have, um, you know, uh, pointed out <laughs> the fact that there was much speculation because what had happened is this, this child of Kevin and Ruby Frank escaped from the home about two weeks ago. And that was, they ran to a neighbor's house. They were emaciated. Well, we'll just play the 911 call. You guys can hear this because it's really, it's very, it's very sad. It's very sad, but it shows what we're kind of dealing with here. Yeah, just to be an emergency. Tell me exactly what's happened. I just had a 12-year-old boy show up here at my front door asking for help. We know there's been problems at this neighbor's house. 
He's emaciated. He's got tape around his legs. He's hungry and he's thirsty. And he asked us to call the police. What's so he's very afraid. This kid has obviously been. I think he's. So that is been, Ruby with her son. He's been detained. He's been. He's obviously covered in wounds. Uh, we need the cops here as soon as possible. And this image right here is the image of the home from where this uh, little boy uh, escaped. And I got to tell you, it breaks my heart. Look, I was 12 years old when I went through my whole ordeal, you know, 11 turning 12. Um, it's really sad. And what it ended up happening is, of course, the kid you know, says, this is where I came from. And this is where um, uh, the police then went back to and discovered his sister, who is also shown to have wounds from being bound up, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. There is absolutely no way that I mean, it is. You got to. I think a lot of people would agree that you have to be a certain type of person to do harm to a child and especially after exploiting them. And it's just, it's just really, really sad. Um, and, and just really disgusting to me. And my, you know, of course now these kids have been all placed into the custody of the state. Obviously the mother is, uh, she's in custody and this Jody Hildebrand is in custody who is now having, Apparently, like medical issues, heart issues, something like that. Probably because she's now been caught. And look, again, everyone, I'm not here to pass judgment on anyone, but, you know, everyone is presumed innocent <laughs> until proven guilty in a court of law here in the United States. But the fact that this kid has come out and said, you know, he was starving, he needed water, like food, water. There's other, there's other stories that are coming out that she, that Ruby had banished her own son. He wasn't allowed to sleep on a bed. He had to sleep on a beanbag because he did something bad. He wasn't performing in the videos. Again, this is like stage moms and dads gone wrong. And the fact that these people were able to exploit a platform like YouTube and generate millions of dollars is horrific is horrific and thank God their channel was taken down. But again, who's looking out for the children? Now the children are in the custody of the state of Utah. And, uh, as far as I know, you know now you guys like, I, I could correct, correct me if I'm wrong. And you know, a lot of people, you know, they were, they were members of the church of Latter-day Saints. A lot of people are using this, uh, to say, Oh, it's wacky religion. It's this, that, and the other. Uh, they did the same thing with Lori Vallow because she was a, a faction of that, a very re far removed faction. Some of the nicest people I've ever met in my life are Mormon. Some of the n kindest, nicest people I've ever met in my life are of the Mormon faith. So there are bad actors in all religions, all walks of life. It's like saying all police officers are bad because of Derek Chauvin. It's nonsense. You know what I mean? There are genuine people, people in the Mormon faith who are wonderful, kind, caring individuals. Um, I had a friend who had an illness years ago and who had gone to treatment in Salt Lake City. And this is back before the days of Airbnb. And she stayed with a Mormon family for like a month. 
and they just took her issues. A stranger from Los Angeles. She didn't have any religious affiliation. She, she, she had, she just was, didn't believe in any of that, but they took her in and they treated her like one of her own. And she came back and she said, call your, they were some of the nicest people. They had no reason to do that. They went above and beyond and they would, they would reach out to her for years after to make sure that she was okay. Hey, how are you feeling? Just check in every six months. Like, Hey, how you doing? So I have nothing bad to say about those people. The fact that, that this person, um, that this person is, um, uh, it, it, it was of that faith. It, it is a shame. Uh, I have obviously a lot of, uh, people commenting here. So I want to get to your comments, by the way, uh, I'm going to try to get to more of your comments on the show because, um, I just love our interaction. Uh, so, and Hey, drop a sticker. If you want me to uh, answer any of your questions, by the way. Uh, so, um, S. Moore says the other issue about this is Jody Hildebrandt is a person is that person. Uh, sorry, this Jody Hildebrandt person is that she is a therapist who has been sanctioned and yet come back and Mormon bishops kept referring members to her. That's interesting. Okay. So she was sanctioned by the religion. So she, so she herself was a part of the church. That's really unfortunate. Um, look, we've all, we've all seen people who have taken advantage of, uh, the people, you know, who have, who have been taken advantage of in, in church situations. And, and, um, you know, so, uh, that doesn't surprise me at all. Uh, it says the child said Frankie in the 911 call. Okay. So there you go. So Frankie is their last name. <laughs> We will get to the bottom of this for sure. Uh, S. Moore says, half my family is Mormon, but the bishops who recommended Jody knew the type of stuff she was doing, and that's the problem. That's interesting. Laura John says, Mormons are taught no boundaries and no hierarchy of sin. Sex is tantamount to murder. Uh, I don't know about that. Um, so, yes. And again, look, uh, there are bad people in churches and there are good people in churches. I don't have really an opinion other than I was, I had a friend who had a wonderful experience. Um, and I have friends that are Mormon that seem to be very lovely people. So who, who knows, who knows? It's a very convoluted situation, but I'm not here to debate religion or any of these things. Um, what is, what is at the core of all of this is the fact that children have been mistreated in a very severe way and people need to be held accountable for that. And it appears to be that this woman or these women were exploiting these children to make money, to be internet celebrities, to be YouTube stars. And that is the really unfortunate thing. And look, it is different because, you know, obviously in the entertainment industry, we have child actors and those are actors that are under the age of 18. And, uh, and obviously they are, you, you know, uh, they work on television shows and they work very hard, but there are laws that govern how these children are treated on set. And it's always something that's, you know, you have to have breaks every three to four hours. I was on a show. I was reminded by someone that it started Olivia Rodrigo. Uh, I would have no idea who she was if she had gone up and punched me in the face, but I worked for two seasons on a show called Bizarre Vark. She was the lead character. <laughs> Didn't realize it was the same Olivia Rodrigo. That doesn't matter. So uh, we, you know, 
we always had to have you have to have breaks. The children have to go to school during the day. And granted, there's a lot of there's homeschooling, obviously, that was a part of uh, this particular situation with the channel um, that uh, was you know being shown. So there was this homeschooling aspect with their children. I guess it is a very popular thing in the Mormon faith that children are homeschooled. Totally fine. Uh, but yeah, uh, apparently this eight passenger show showed a lot about that as well. So there is also a, uh, so this comment says, what do you think about the boy telling cops he was responsible for what happened to him? Now there's, there's these allegations that have come on, uh, about this and the kids. And I would say, yes, very much so. There was some sort of brainwashing and grooming going on. Obviously, a child knows that they are not responsible for bringing on the behavior. However, I thought that way. And to be honest with you, I was doing an interview earlier today. It was, it was, they had asked me one of the things, um, you know, I brought it up in my situation. They were interviewing me for this show. I believe it's called One on One. Uh, it'll be out in a few weeks. I'll share the links, of course, uh, in my show notes. But um, one of the things... Oh, I'm actually going to post that interview, by the way. I'm going to post that interview that I did today in my uh, members area and on my Patreon so you guys can check it out. Um, but for this particular podcast, so one of the things that I had realized is I had to... I had grown up and sort of been tried to pigeonhole by my family and I had felt almost guilty when my father, when my mother was found, um, when she had been murdered and my father was arrested and my family sort of tried to pin that on me as if I was somehow responsible for creating this mess and how I felt I had to sort of struggle with that, um, with that cognitive dissonance of, I knew what I was doing was right. I knew that what I was doing for my mother was right and for my family, but being blamed and uh, by family members and also sort of enacting the self-blame of like, did I create this situation? I remember being in, I remember when I came downstairs, uh, when I was being taken from my home uh, by children's services, uh, right before they found my mother, right before my father was arrested. And I can remember saying to myself, wow, am I responsible for all this? Because I would see, I saw all of the police officers and the men and women in white lab coats and it was the full-on CSI experience in the middle of my house. And I thought to myself, am I responsible for all this? Like, this is all my fault. Like, what have I created? I, so I understand where this child maybe has even thought that he brought this on himself. But of course, we all know that that's not true. But a lot of times children will take on this extra burden from their family uh, or from their parents when that parent is responsible to sort of deflect that. And I don't, I can't really describe it. I don't know why we do it, but it's almost like, um, you know, if you are dealing with, uh, let's say in an adult situation, when you have a friend that is struggling with a with a, a relationship where they've been harshly mistreated and i'm using that as a different word because we're on youtube i can't say certain things but it starts with an a and when you're dealing with someone who is in a let's say a dv situation and a lot of times they will they will somehow 
try to justify it to the outside world or themselves and say, well, it was my fault or, oh, I brought it on or, oh, he's really a good person. He didn't mean to do that. Right. I think children, I know for myself, I did that a lot where I took on a lot of that, that burden of my father's arrest and what was going on in the court system and playing out onto myself. And it was very unfair of me, myself to do that. But look, I didn't have a family situation that stepped in. A lot of them were pointing the fingers at me that I had created the situation by notifying law enforcement through my mother's friends. So you sort of take that on in this very self-blaming uh, way. And, and look, this trickles into adulthood. Like I said, using the using the example of the DV situation when somebody's in that where they often say, well, I deserved it. Oh, he's not really that, that bad of a guy. You know, I think a lot of us have unfortunately heard those stories before, right? Where, um, they, we try to adjust we try to really justify something. And I think because we as human beings, right, not to get off on a tangent, but we as human beings, a lot of times when we are in a situation where no one wants to take accountability or responsibility for what is happening in our world, we just decide, okay, I'm going to do that. I'm going to take that responsibility. So if they're not going to admit fault, I'll just admit fault just to make it easier to sort of rationalize in my head on what's happening. Right. I think that is a very, very, um, very, uh, natural human response right so uh let me get to some of the comments that's so sad um that my family uh, acted so abominably yeah i mean it happens right this is trauma this is what this podcast is about this is what the show is about look people respond to traumatic situations in different ways so i can't really um you know look i can't really uh do that uh renee michelle says my husband and i consider ourselves mormons in recovery he still has trauma at 62 years old I'm so sorry he went through that. I hope that not everyone's experiences that. Again, I'm not here to debate religion or any sort of religious organization whatsoever. So, um, but I do feel bad for anyone who's been in pain or been traumatized because that's really tough and really sucks. And really sucks when you carry that into an adulthood. So hopefully y'all watch some videos here and you see uh, sort of my sort of techniques of talking about things and going through them and, and really trying to understand and rationalize trauma that you go through in a way where, um, you know, hopefully can help you on the road to recovery and the road to healing. Uh, yeah. Anyways, it is, uh, it's a, it's a, it's a hard row to hoe. That's for sure. Hearing the man cry on the nine one one made me cry. Absolutely. That was the part that really tugged at my heartstrings. This guy looking at this 12 year old boy and saying, I, 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 I can't believe what's going on. That to me is one of the saddest things in this scenario. Um, yeah, it really is. Oh, it really is. It really is tough. And look, many people preach, you know, they preach family values, et cetera, et cetera, and all of that. Uh, we are going to take a quick little, uh, quick little, quick little break. I'm going to talk to you guys about a sponsor. So I have been recently taking. CBD from Next Evo, Evo Naturals. CBD, I want to tell you guys a little bit about it, and here we go. Mover Nation, you guys all know how I lead a really busy life, right? And I know we could all use a little more relaxation. Now, whether you're trying to chill out or just need a good night's rest, Next Evo's CBD will be your best 
friend. But, and this is big, not all CBD products are created equal. Shockingly, a study found that many CBD brands contain as little as 60% of what their labels promise. I've been trying out Nextevo Naturals and Movers, it's the real deal. And their commitment? Well, it's giving you exactly what's on the label. Remember, they've undergone four clinical trials of feet unmatched by any other brand of CBD. Now, I personally adore their Stress CBD Complex gummies. When I'm feeling anxious or overwhelmed, they are a total game changer. And those nights when sleep is all too elusive for me, the triple action CBD sleep does absolute wonders. Leave summer stress behind and upgrade your CBD. Go to nextevo.com forward slash MPT to get 25% off plus a free bottle of premium pure CBD, a $50 value limit one use per customer. That's nextevo.com slash MPT. Now we're back. Ah, so refreshed. I got so on one note, I've been taking their nighttime CBD formula. It is absolutely crushing my sleep. I, I, I am really, really surprised. I was a longtime user of melatonin. Uh, and this has literally been crushing my sleep. It's been absolutely amazing. So uh, I can't recommend it enough. Please click the link below. Check out their products. They're fantastic. I've been loving them. They're great. Uh, anytime I'm feeling anxious, even. Uh, even with my back. my I've injured my back, for those of you that don't know. Uh, you know, We'll get back on topic in a second. But I injured my back this week. How? I have no idea. And some of you watch, like I do my little fitness videos. I'll post them on Instagram. Sometimes I post them on YouTube. I didn't injure it working out or anything. I think I just literally tweaked it doing something. Or... I, I have injured my, I hurt my knee a few months ago and I think that maybe I was overcompensating. Anyways, I used to have really bad back pain because for years I worked as a cinematographer. I was often doing steady cam work and I had lots of heavy camera systems. And if I didn't wear a back brace, like I'm wearing now, I would hurt myself, but I would usually pretty much snap out of it. Once I of course wore a brace, Something I did, I twisted wrong and we and it kinked and it's like seized up for like four days. But I started taking the, I was taking the CBD with it and uh, it really, really helped. So cannot recommend it enough. It's a fantastic product. Uh, let me get <clears throat> back to what I'm saying. Oh, Carolyn Ross, thank you so much. Uh, oh, hold on. That was not what I was, I was clicking on something here. Uh, Carolyn Ross, thank you so much. Carolyn Ross says, Collier, I found you during Lori Vallow and have found you inspirational. I was not physically hurt in childhood, but mentally. Yes, well, I'm so glad. Welcome to the channel, Carolyn Ross. Thank you so much for finding me. Uh, again, I'm talking about the, uh, I spoke a lot about Lori Vallow just because I could obviously relate to the case and the children involved, et cetera, et cetera, and just the overall destruction that things like these cause. The far-reaching ramifications that all of this starts to tee up and set up that is just not, it's just not good, man. Um, you know, I think that's one of the things that often goes that we, that we as consumers of true crime or people that are just news junkies or, or people that look at situations and just go, God, this is so bad. We don't really tend to think about, excuse me, and this always impassioned me as a, as an advocate was that we don't look 
past the immediacy of of the situations that happen. We don't see the far reaching the spires that go out into the world when uh, violence and things like that are committed or there is a situation where people, especially children, are mistreated and the scars that that creates and that trauma creates in our lives well into adulthood. And, uh, you know, um, and in the mental health issues that are a ramification of that. Now, the other day I was on a show on Surviving the Survivors. Some of you know me from that. And there was a gentleman who had mentioned, uh, who had talked about mental health and said that, you know, people who perpetrate these crimes are mentally ill, et cetera, et cetera. I took him to task because I felt very much so that, um, the, uh, that, uh, you cannot say that, that is, you can't make that as a blanket statement. Yes. Some of these people, I mean, I'm not a clinician. I am not a doctor or anything. I'm just a guy who's been through a lot of shit, but I think that you, 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 you got to really refrain from, saying people who are mentally ill are doing this or whatever, because you, you add a stigma. There are plenty of people that have, that have, uh, that struggle with mental health issues that do not commit violent crime, that do not do things that do not engage in self-harm, that are productive members of society that just struggle with day-to-day things in their lives and, and, and trying to be happy and, and living the best life that they can. And they choose not to act out in ways. So we got to be really careful when we start to think about that or we start to discuss these things because, uh, mental health is so important. But anyways, these things in childhood often lead to problems that are created in adulthood, unfortunately. And then our interactions with those around us in the world, uh, can be affected and um, sometimes not in a good way. Sometimes it can be in a great way. Sometimes, look, I'm here sharing my knowledge with you guys because of what I've been through. So sometimes it is a positive situation that this comes from. So I, you know, in a lot of ways, I really can't. Um, S. Moore, thank you so much for the super sticker. I really appreciate it. S. Moore says, hopefully these kids will find your channel and know they weren't to blame and can start to heal. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, I hope, I hope so too, because I, um, not that they need to find my channel, but I really do hope that they do find, um, some solace and know that like, they're not responsible for any of this, like any of this. And the fact that a child has been made to feel, um, just a guy that's been through a lot of shit merch <laughs> coffee buzz. That's hilarious. And Kim Shoren says, yes, you guys are great. Um, Lynn says, we love your channel here in Canada, Collier. Oh, thank you so much, uh, for saying that. And, uh, Kat, I am. Thank you. Um, yeah, well, we love Canada, Toronto. I don't know if I ever shared this, but for you, those of you Canadians, you'll find this interesting. So one of the number one places that my mother always wanted to take me was Toronto. And even so much as that, like when my mother was missing and my father was brainstorming of ideas where my mother could have gone, I had said Toronto just to sort of see what he would say. And he goes, oh, that's a great idea. Mommy probably, she's probably vacationing in Toronto. That's where she is. And he kind of leaped onto that and just, and, and, and latched onto that and used that as like, oh, that's where she is. She's out of the country. So we can't find her. It was one of those things that like, um, uh, you know, was 
I was trying to see what my father would do. And of course, he, he latched on to that statement because he's grabbing for straws all the time, right? Because he knew that he took my mother's life. But um, one of the really amazing things is uh, when I was um, uh, 17, I don't think I was 18 yet, but we went on a choir trip. I was in, <laughs> I was in the Rainbow Choir where I got to uh, the show choir at Ontario High School, and we took a trip to Toronto, and I was very excited because Phantom of the Opera was like one of my favorite musicals, and I had been listening to the CDs of it. And we went to see Phantom of the Opera, and I was like absolutely amazed and blown away. But we went to the top of the CN Tower. Now, for those of you that may or may not know, I am very afraid of heights. <laughs> and the CN Tower, I believe, is 1,800 feet. I don't know what that is in meters, but it's 1,800 feet tall uh it's a very tall tower in in maybe 1800 maybe that's a bit hyperbolic maybe it's like 13 it's very tall let's just put it that way and i went to the top of the of the <laughs> of the cn tower in toronto and uh they had a glass elevator um so you could watch and it takes like two minutes to go i mean it was like i'm my knees are getting weak just thinking about it. But I remember I went out onto the, they have a glass floor. <laughs> My knees are getting weak just thinking about it. They have a glass floor that you walk out and you can look straight down, right? I'm getting cringy. Just thinking, oh my goodness. Giving me goosebumps. Uh, but I remember saying to a friend of mine who had lost her father earlier in the year, I looked at her and I said, well, we are just this much closer to them in heaven. Aw. But that's my that's my Toronto story. I've had a lot of really good times in Toronto, though, <laughs> and I get to see some of my favorite Toronto friends next week in Orlando at CrimeCon, September twenty second through the twenty fourth. If you are in Orlando, if you are going to CrimeCon, please look me up. I will be there. I have a booth with my co-host Tara Newell of the Survivor Squad. We will be there together. We have matching Ken and Barbie outfits. I can't believe I just gave that away. Because there's a, a neon party. We're going to go as Ken and Barbie. It's going to be a lot of fun. And uh, yeah, please check me out. But I have a very good friend, Tyler Allen. He is from Toronto area. He hosts the Minds of Madness podcast. I've been a guest on his show. Um, he does a fantastic show. Very, like, very, very well done. Uh, I met him last year at CrimeCon. I'm excited to see him again. He recently texted me uh, the other day. And he said that he got the bar in the hotel to stay open past midnight till 1 a.m. Uh, I am not a drinker, as I have told many of you, but Tyler, being a good Canadian, is. So I am look, looking forward to a uh, a raucous time with him uh, at CrimeCon. It'll be great. He's a lot of fun, and he brings his whole team of people. So it'll be. I'm very excited to go back and to go back to Orlando. I lived there for like eight months before I moved to Los Angeles and have not been back other than maybe get, make a stop at the airport. Anyways, that is my Canada story. I love Canada. Carolyn Ross, thank you so much. You are correct. 40 years later, I still feel trauma. Rudy, Ruby Frankie's kids will need a lot of love and support. Absolutely they will because, uh, you know, this is the thing with the Ruby Frankie thing that, I, that really connects to me because not only... So, okay, it's obviously that the children were neglected. Obviously that they were mistreated. That is obvious based upon the child who escaped, who was emaciated and malnutritioned and his sister, et cetera, et cetera. So obviously 
she will probably because these are you know uh these are uh, these these allegations if they are found guilty in court they carry a very heavy penalty a very heavy penalty of i think 15 years per count so you know this is the this is the thing that is very this is very unfortunate in the situation because you have children and look, my father was very abusive to both myself and my mother, but you have children that are raised a certain way. Right. And as this little boy had said, you know, he felt he was responsible for what happened to him because that was the manipulation that he had experienced. Right. Which is really horrific, horrific to think about, but also they have this sort of, you know, they have this trauma bond with their parent and now the parent is taken out of their life. So now these children, don't have a mother who obviously was neglectful, but now they won't have their mother. And I would probably venture a guess that the father is also going to face some sort of penalty. I don't know whether that'll be, well, this is all speculation. I am not a lawyer, but I am just, as I said, a guy who's been through and I'm going to make the t-shirt great suggestion. Coffee buzz the guy who's been through it. So you guys don't have to be, uh, be someone who goes through it, but I'll tell you, you know, if the father is found in any way in being, you know, complicit in this, right? I'm not saying that he'll, he'll be, you know, he'll be put on trial or anything or be sent away, but he might have his parental rights, you know, stripped of him. Now, I don't know how deeply the family goes, you know, uh, they are in the Mormon community. And as I said before, my experience with people in the Mormon community has been, they've been very compassionate and generous and empathetic people who take in. Uh, so maybe they will find, or hopefully, like hopefully they find a praying that they will find a good stable home, which will help them lead them on the road to recovery and to healing because they've been mistreated for so long. Right. But, um, you know, the, I would imagine that the parental rights of their father would be severely restricted, if not taken away. So these children are basically my whole point in saying this is they are going to find themselves in a situation where they don't have the family sort of normalcy and not that the family was normal, but they don't have what they're, what is familiar to them. And now their whole worlds have been rug pulled as well. So as much as we're happy that they're out of the situation like this, they are also just, um, they are, they are just, you know, their whole world has been turned upside down. So we really have to think about that too. We really have to understand and, and be compassionate that these kids, you know, they're going to be dealing with this the rest of their life. I deal with it all the time. I deal with it in ways. And when I was talking on this podcast this morning or earlier today, whatever it was, yeah, it was this morning. Um, it's three o'clock. <laughs> Sometimes the days run together. Um, I was talking about this morning. You know, you you don't ever, when it comes to trauma, like you never really like re recover from it. You know, you have things. I was talking about because this this uh, podcast host was saying, "Hey, do you um, do you think there's different levels of trauma, or how do people treat different levels of trauma?" And I'm like, "Look, I'm not a I'm not a psychotherapist. I'm not a you know I'm nobody, right? I don't have a degree in this field or anything." But, uh, but I have been through it personally, so I don't know how they look at different levels, but I know that people do go through certain levels. I'm sure that someone who is, you know, who has faced PTSD, uh, you know, serving our country in the line of duty or, or et cetera, et cetera, has, uh, you know, some form of PTSD or somebody that deals with crime, uh, law enforcement, et cetera. 
those people have a certain form of PTSD that is much different than somebody who grew up in a home where they were mistreated heavily, right? Where they dealt with the where they they dealt with their father taking the life of their mother, right? Or they lost a parent to disease. I'm sure there's that trauma is treated much differently, right? And I think about you know sometimes I hear when I hear people arguing or loud aggressive behavior. That's something that's triggering for me. I don't even realize it. And I'm not somebody who talks a lot about triggering. By the way, thank you, Ka uh, Kathleen Welsh. Thank you for joining. Welcome to the program. Uh, I think. Everybody, um, I think one of the things is, is that you don't really realize how much that sort of permeates into your life. Like I was saying, I, I hear like loud and aggressive, like rah, rah, and I, that sort of sets me on edge. And I never really thought about it until probably in the last like three or four months. And I, you know, uh, and it really started with my neighbors downstairs slamming the door. They slam the doors all the time and it annoys the piss out of me. It's just, it's so annoying. It's so obnoxious. They slam the doors. It's like, and, I, and I've wanted to, and I've gone down and I've helped them fix the door. I've been like, you don't need to slam it. Like, it, it, like we can make it, and I gave them the grease so it doesn't slam as hard. So they've been better about it. But I'm telling you, I, just that remind. and I was like, why does this bother me so much? Then I remember it reminded me of my father who would constantly slam doors. He would break windows uh, and the screaming and the yelling. And they, they're not screaming and yelling at one another, but... I think about things like that when I hear aggression of any sort. It is very, very triggering for me. Uh, and, um, you know, and, and I'm somebody who considers myself to be a very functional and very well-adjusted individual. And I have, you know, been in situations, I have been in fights, unfortunately, defending my life in situations where there has been violent aggression and had to rise to the occasion to save myself and others. But... You know, it is a situation where, like, I, you know, again, I don't want to get off on a tangent, but a lot of this trauma will come back into play, and, and you start to notice these very subtle things that happen, and happen, they're a little, like, just, I don't know what the right word is, they're little, not little seeds, not little drops, but um, they are, uh, they're, they're things that just come back to haunt you, and that's why you have to be really prepared to take it on and go, okay, I'm going to do the best I can here. I'm going to, um, I'm going to look at the situation and assess it and go, okay, and do what I need to do to feel safe. Right. And, uh, you know, a lot of people, and I think about this, you know, going into a, a true crime convention where there are, there are victims and families that are showing up that are going to be talking to people and that are going to be dealing with it and they'll come to me and we'll all talk about it. I am sure. And we talk about it a lot on uh, the show that Tara Newell and I do, uh, Survivor Squad, new episode out tomorrow, by the way. Uh, and we, you know, we, we talk a lot about people who are survivors and, and things that go through. There's triggers and triggers to the trauma and past traumas and things. And that's why you really need to get a hold of a hold of all of that, because it, it if you don't at least get some sort of grasp on it, it will permeate all aspects of your life. And some people are then almost debilitated because of it. And I think we all know people like that. I mean, I've been debilitated all weekend because of my back. So imagine being debilitated because of the pain of your childhood. I think that's probably one of the, one of the reasons why you guys come to the channel to see, <laughs> to see somebody who's made it through, right? This is what I like to think of. By the way, shout out to uh, my little doggy downstairs. She is being very, very good. 
I won't mention her name because then she might start barking, but she has not barked once while I've been here. Very proud of her for that. M-A-R-I-S-O-L. She's done very well. <laughs> because I don't know if I ever mentioned you recently. She's uh, coming up on a year. Uh, November 11th will be her birthday. So that is, uh, yes. And she will, uh, she will be one year old. But we have developed this, this B-A-R-K-I-N-G barking habit uh, that, uh, yeah, I'm not a fan of. <laughs> I'm not a fan of, <laughs> and I'm leaving next week. So I think that she's going to, that she's going to miss me. And, uh, I think a lot of it is anxiety, uh, because I was gone for so long and I had her outside of the house, but, uh, Juliana Rodriguez says the insidiousness of it all. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, just found your podcast. I am in Australia. Aussies. Welcome. Australia, where in Australia are you from? Not happy, Jan. Uh, I'm curious. I have been to Sydney, and I have been to the Northern Beaches, and I have been down to Browley, and I have been to Bathurst as well, and seen the Three Sisters. And uh, I loved Australia. It was it was really cool. Sometimes we do what we have to do, but it doesn't mean we have to enjoy it. Uh, very true, Catherine Fan. Uh, Kathleen Welsh says, you're 100% correct. My kids get triggered by people screaming and door slamming. Yeah, I do too. I definitely do. Karen Fan says, hey, Collier and everyone, it's Wednesday. The weekend is in view. Hope y'all's week has been great. I hope everyone's week has been great too. Uh, I promise to talk about other things besides this whole debacle with... Uh, with this uh, uh, Ruby Frankie, Ruby Frankie and Jody um, Hildebrand, but um, you know we're going to see how this whole thing plays out. I am just very, 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 very concerned with the kids and how they're going to respond. Uh, real quick, so <clears throat> I have another video I'm going to put out where I actually read the letters and everything. Last week was it? Last week. Yeah, it's only a week ago. Danny Masterson was sentenced to 30 years for the R, forcible R word of two Jane Doe's. And there was a third woman that was accused, but that that uh, case was dismissed um, or they didn't find him guilty for that. Um, but he was sentenced and it came out over the weekend that uh, Ashton Kutcher and Mila Kunis, uh, who are now husband and wife, who knew Danny Masterson on that 70s show and were co-workers and have known him for 25 years, wrote letters to the judge uh, on behalf of him as um, uh, in support, not of his release, but in support of a more favorable sentence. They were character witness letters, essentially, which a lot of people, uh, as we know, um, a lot of people have been very opinionated on, uh, and myself as well, uh, because they wrote these letters in support and, um, and it's, uh, it, it seems very short sighted of them that they didn't know that they was, were going to come out or that they were going to be held accountable. I do want to answer a couple questions. Okay. So first of all, so you, uh, uh, not so happy Jan, you live in Brisbane, but grew up in Sydney. 
All right, Brisbane or Bris Vegas, as they've referred it to on the Gold Coast. Uh, I have not been up that far, but I've, I've met a lot of people and they're always like, come up and visit us, come out. So I'll have to get up there one of those days. Um, <clears throat> yes, uh, he did a very, very bad thing. Uh, I was surprised at Mila and Ashton. Yeah, me too. Uh, Karen Van has asked, <clears throat> uh, back to, as I talked about this last week, have I read the clerk records book from the Murdoch trial? No, I have not. I don't think I will unless somebody sends me a copy of it. I'm not giving them any money. I think again, we are still dealing with the fallout of that. <clears throat> again, I support people's right to write a book and et cetera, et cetera. I know a lot of people have expressed, uh, that, like, what's the problem? My problem is not the fact that they wrote a book. My problem is the fact that they raced to get a book out before the appeals, before anything, before the dust settled on the case. Because I feel like when you were a member of the court system, clerk of courts, of course, you, you should have used a little bit of restraint and, uh, and, and you should know that you should be responsible and accountable and not rush to put something out because my contention is that they rushed to put that out so quickly because they were looking for a payoff. And look, I know a lot of people, I used it. It's a very, it's a very cheeky and, and uh, it's a rhyme. I said, book deal leads to Murdoch appeal, question mark. I realized that they did not have a traditional book deal. But the thing is, is when you self-publish on Amazon, Kindle, desktop publishing, KDP, a lot of people will put books out there and self-publish in hopes of getting a deal secured with a major publisher. Because if you can put a book out and you can sell a lot of copies, you say to the publishing house, hey, invest in me, invest in this book and put this book out into the mainstream and allow me to make, and you can also get a much more favorable deal structure. Uh, a lot of people, and I know this because I've been approached about writing a book by many people, literary agents and publishing houses alike. Some people get deals where they get cash advances. Some people don't. I've looked at self-publishing myself and I am in the works of writing a book. I will let you guys know when it is ready so everybody can, do, can check it out. But so I have a lot of experience in this because as of someone who made a film about his life, obviously in books, situations, I have many friends that have written that are authors, not just of you know, true crime or, or their own life story, but, but they've written like books of fiction and, and things and been very successful. Uh, but it's a whole game you gotta play. And they were trying to play the game. So that is the truth, uh, is they were trying to get a book deal and they were trying to be the first to market with their book. And I think that was at, in my opinion, and we'll see how it plays out, that was at the detriment of the legal system, which if the whole situation has to play out in court again, we are now leading to a whole scenario where they are... Um, you know, you've caused a massive disruption and now the community is re-traumatized again. And now we're dealing with all of this again. Again, I look at this through a very specific, specific and unique lens of someone who has survived through violent crime, who has been a witness, who has been a child witness against a parent who's took the life of another parent. So I look at this with a very specific lens of like, you don't want to re-traumatize people. And now you've caused a lot of grief and heartache that is not, uh, you know, where people need to relive this tragedy. No one wants to do that. And last week when I was on a show, one of the people was contending, well, they're happy. Oh, you're crazy. They want to make money. People would love to see this trial happen again. I don't believe that. Not everybody does everything for money. <laughs> 
So the fact that a community wants to be re-traumatized again, and, and also there's a situation where the court system then gets backed up because now they have to deal with this again. It's already sucked up a lot of people's time. I don't think people want to revisit all of this again. Uh, there's been some super stickers. Let's give some shout outs. Oh my goodness, Yvette S. Thank you so much. Saw you on, Survi on Surviving the Survivor. Loved how you stood up for Buster. I chuckled on how annoyed the host was with the chat complimenting your good looks. Well, it was very, very uh, sweet. I will be meeting Joel for the first time in person next week at CrimeCon. And we were just texting. He is absolutely exhausted since he did that whole studio switch. And he's just... Uh, but I'm looking forward to meeting him in person finally because we've had a lot of great chats and a lot of great banter, uh, obviously on the show, but also privately in text messages and phone calls. So uh, it will be great. Um, thank you so much, S. Moore. The worst part was that Ashton called him a role model. WTF. Okay. So back to this Ashton Kutcher uh, situation with Mila Kunis. Okay, so there's a couple of things that, that I think are that are interesting in this situation. I've done a video. I'm going to be releasing it later tonight. Uh, so you guys can check it out where I break down a little bit more of this in a little more detail. I read the letters, et cetera, et cetera. For those of you that don't know, um, Mila Kunis last year did a film for Netflix called The Luckiest Girl Alive, which was based on a best-selling book. I believe it's a work of fiction. But it I watched that film and I was talking to Tara, Tara Newell, who you guys all know from Dirty John, my partner and uh, partner and co-host in Survivor Squad podcast. We were talking about how amazing that film was. And she's the reason, Tara is the reason why I watched this film. Tara, Mila Kunis did this film called The Luckiest Girl Alive. And in it, she plays a girl who is a Manhattan socialite. Oh, here we go. There's the barking plays a Manhattan socialite, but she also is working at a magazine, a very successful magazine, and she's getting married and she's living her best life in New York City, in Manhattan, right? And what happens is a she goes out, and it's Scoot McNary, who's in this film as well, who's fabulous, if you guys ever saw Spotlight, he's amazing. Um, but Scoot McNary plays like her teacher. And what had happened was, is there was a an act of violence at her school when she was a child and somebody starts somebody is a documentary filmmaker comes into the picture those darn documentary filmmakers and they are investigating the whole circumstances surrounding this situation that happened at her it was either her boarding school or to her high school uh thank you so much i am the gun power just because we connect here uh Marisol, you gave the little Marisol sticker. Thank you so much. Um, we uh, so so she, th this this film is really really amazing at taking a look at what people who are quote survivors or people who have been through an act of of violence collectively together what they experience and how they are re traumatized and how when you don't deal with the trauma. It is uh, a situation that that does come up and creep and seep its way into your life. And what you see in this film, and I was talking to Tara about this last night, was what you saw in the film. And by the way, uh, the girl who plays, okay, so Mila Kunis is the girl. Her mother is played by Connie Britton, who also played Tara's mom 
Deborah Newell in Dirty John, the original series. So Tara, Tara found it because of Connie Britton. And I loved Connie Britton. Uh, I never watched Friday Night Lights, but I used to watch Nashville. And I was a huge Nashville fan for the first several seasons. Uh, I, you know, I don't know. I just, I loved the show. Um, but uh, so she, she loved it. Connie Britton was in it and she was a big fan. So Connie Britton plays Mila Kunis' mom. And what happens is, is you start to see as this event is being brought up from the past, you start to see Mila Kunis's character unravel everything in her life. So not only her career, but her marriage. She's getting married to this very handsome, very, uh, he comes from a very well-to-do family and uh, it's going to be this perfect wedding in like the Hamptons or Martha's Vineyard or something. And picturesque out of a storybook. And she has this whole life that's been laid out in front of her. And because of this uh, scenario, th this tragic instance now being the subject of a documentary, and then one of her classmates who was there writes a book, and he's on a book tour about it. And he talks about her behavior because she had, I believe, and Tara was reminding me of this yesterday, that he, she had taken the life of the person who was armed with the firearm in, in the boarding school that she was involved in. I'm going to be very tricky on how I say all this on YouTube. Uh, the bots are in full of force, but um, she, the moral of the story is she made this fantastic film about what survivors going through and about dealing with trauma in real time in your life and how it comes and creeps back up in your life. It's really, really well done. I recommend you watch it. Hence, this leads me to the fact of they release these letters. They say to the judge, and they're talking about Danny Masterson being a person of really good character, exemplary character, somebody who they've looked for a role model, as S. Moore points out. I was also like, WTF? Like, are you kidding me? And look, I had talked about this last week when I, when I talked about the thing. I talked about it when he was convicted in May. I knew people, I knew girls that would go to his house, parties, etc. When they're talking about the usage of substances and how he stood up for all of that, I'm going to tell you something. The guy was a party guy. Like girls wanted to go to his house to party and and engage in usages of substances. So them talking about him not being that, the dude was known as a party boy. I used to see him at clubs. I moved to Los Angeles when this show was the biggest hit in town, when Ashton Kutcher was super popular, when Danny Masterson was out on all this. I knew girls that, that had gone to the house, that had experienced it, that had you know, come back with mixed reviews. He was creepy. He was this, that. Like, the fact that they're defending him, saying that this didn't exist, is utterly fanciful. That's, I think, the hardest thing for me to understand is I was there. Like, I lived through, I would see this dude in clubs. I knew that there was, because I heard it from the girls, because I knew girls that went to his house. So it's just BS. It's absolute rubbish what they're saying, which makes it so which I think is what they're trying to say that, oh, they're, they're sympathetic. And, and look, they've done a lot of work. They've worked with organizations like rain to stop trafficking and things of that nature. But the fact of the matter is, is that you've got to practice what you preach, you know, and, and for them to sit there and say that they were, uh, you, you know, and they're looking for leniency and look, this is something that they also address in the video, but I want to say this. 
while we are looking at the behavior of these individuals and while we're looking at the father, I would be remiss if I did not mention that we need to also think about, and there was a letter written, it was very heartfelt, but, you know, Danny Masterson was married to Bijou Phillips. And, you know, they have a child together. And this is a little girl who is going to grow up without a father, you know, without a father in her physical presence. Yes, he can be over the telephone. Yes, you can go through the glass and boat drinks, et cetera, et cetera. You can, whatever. You, you know, that does not mean that he is going to be very involved in her life. And she's not going to have that. And my heart goes out to her. We've got to remember that they are also very real victims. And she wrote this very impassioned letter pleading for leniency because she knows that he did wrong, but also he have just, you know, uh, you know, they have, they have this daughter who, who her father is her world. This is another life that is impacted by this, right? So you have the victims who have been through this for 20 years. It took them to get justice. Then you have this child who's going to be without her father for at least 30 years, right? I mean, uh, it's, and people have corrected me. Some people said he was sentenced to 15 years times two. No, it was 30 years. He's eligible for parole from what I read on the court, like in at 25 years. We live in California. It is, there's a lot of time served and credit time served, 85%, et cetera, et cetera, that goes on the California judicial system and penal system. So who knows what ends up happening? He's away for a really long time. Even if it's 25 years, this little girl's whatever. I think she was born in 2014 or something. So nine years old, eight years old. She's going to be well into her 30s by the time he's, I mean, it's very, very difficult. It's very, very hard. Yes, nine-year-old daughter. In, uh, I'm one in, in one of the support letters they talked about, they talked about what a great dad Danny was and he gave his, because he gave his nine-year-old a, a bath every night. <laughs> yeah, they talked about that and, and that he would read to her or help her with her homework, et cetera, et cetera. Look, it is just, um, I, I just, you know, uh, I know that there, there was support on these letters for this guy and his heinous actions, but look, I, I gotta tell you, you can't forget that she's also a victim. Like she is someone who is growing up without a daddy, you know, like I grew up without a father. And this makes me think of something too, that, that really hits home with me is that my half sister was 12 days old when my father was arrested. She never grew up with her father, right? She never has known my father outside of a prison system. So I think about that a lot. You know, uh, unfortunately her and I are not on, are not, not we're on bad terms. We don't really speak like we used to. Um, a lot of it has to do with me making the film, et cetera, et cetera, which she was going to participate in. That's a whole subject for a whole other day. My point is, is I look at it through that lens of this is something that is going to, this is a little girl whose life was impacted now because of this. So it is, it is a scenario where you have to, you have to really engage with empathy. Like this kid's not involved in this, you know, the wife, you know, she came into the picture looks like years after all these shenanigans. Um, it also goes to show, you know, somebody Rui says here, uh, being on TV, a get out of jail free card, is that what they so badly want to be? Is that why they so badly want to be actors? No, they want to be actors because being on television and being an actor and making tons of money is a lot of fun. <laughs> like, 
being an actor is a really good life, especially if you make a really good living at it. It's a lot of fun. Um, but, uh, I, I mean, a lot of times I wish I was an actor. Um, but they, you know, it's a, it's a really great life. <laughs> it's a really great life if you can handle it responsibly. Uh, but I think that this case proves that just because you are on television and you are super successful, you are still going to be held accountable. Same standards of the law that all the rest of us should be. And um, uh, Karen Fan says 30 years to life. She gets a chance at 30 years. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, you know, again, California is, a, is 85% time served. So what does that work out mathematically? That would work out to, so 30, so 80% of that would be 24. Uh, yeah, that works out to like 25 years that he would be eligible eligible for credit, like time served credit or eligible for parole. So that's where I come up with that 25 uh, year thing, because in California we do have these, like, I don't know if that's anywhere else in the nation, if they have like time served credits and stuff like that, but we have it here. We also have a prison system that is completely, you know, pushed to the gills loaded with prisoners. So um, it's a very unfortunate thing. I hope his wife finds someone who isn't capable of the violent acts he was convicted of and loves his little girl in a healthy way. Yes, Kimberly, I hope so too. Um, this is a very altruistic view because I think that unfortunately, because, and I've done videos I've talked about like the sins of the father, right? My father's me being labeled by my father's actions. Like it is very, very difficult. Like let's not ignore the fact that, that being a single mother is a very difficult thing. And then getting someone else involved uh, who, when you have that kind of coverage and that kind of scrutiny, it's going to be very difficult for her. I really feel that. And I feel, I feel very bad for her and I feel bad for her life choices, if you will. I mean, it's a very, very difficult situation all the way around. Uh, which CBD helped for my back pain? That is Next Evo CBD. There is a link in the description box below. Next Evo Naturals. If you go to nextevo.com forward slash MPT, you can get a link to that. You get a free bottle and uh, a 25% discount on your order. So check it out um, on your first order. So uh, using my code, uh, just click the link and it'll get you there. Uh I'm glad the daughter is safe from, yes, me too. And, uh, yes, uh, eight, eight, six, seven, 5309, quite a handle. I just remember thinking, oh God, this, is this what LA is going to be like? <clears throat> it was literally my first week living in LA 10 years ago. Oh, so hold on. Where is your previous comment? Where is your previous comment at? Um, And this says that kid still has all that masters and family in the church of Scientology surrounding her. Her mom is also a member. They will have that, that kid signing a billion dollar, a billion year contract soon. Yeah, they probably will. Again, uh, Scientology is something, um, I was very curious about when I moved to Hollywood. Uh, I had some friends, we were all going to go to the, um, we were all going to go to, uh, uh, the church together in a little, in a little group to support one another and none of us went very, very glad it happened. A lot of the rumor is too, that, you know, and I'm not, again, I'm not here to comment on any religions or anything. Um, 
There are plenty of other channels you can find that talk a lot about Scientology. I'm not going to devote a whole lot to it other than I haven't heard very, I know, I actually know people in the church that have had very positive experiences. Um, and I know people who have had not, um, like many people. So, um, again, I would say that this particular situation with these women, because apparently they had given statements in the, what they call the auditing sessions, which is where you, it's, it's Scientology apparently, and again, I don't know a lot about it, but apparently one of the pillars is they don't believe in psychology or psychotherapy, and they most certainly don't believe in psychiatry or drugs or anything like that. So they have a very, they take a very serious stand against that. But um, uh, these auditing sessions sound to me just like they're therapy, right? So uh, apparently these victim stories had come out in auditing sessions, and there is a lot of talk about the church suppressing that. And for years, and that's why it took years for this case to come out. Who knows if it's true? That is what the word around the campfire is uh, regarding this case. Uh, but it's all very, 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 very unfortunate. Um, I'm just really, uh, it, it, I mean, at least they got justice, right? But again, it's a long, it's a long, long road. So uh, eight. 8667309. I went to a party at his house my first week in LA with some friends. We stayed for about 15 minutes. It was nothing I had that I had ever seen before. My friends and I were very uncomfortable. There you go. Yeah. I knew a lot of a lot of girls that said the same thing. And I would see them in clubs too. Uh, not that I was a big club goer back then, but um, I was out a lot. Drunk. <clears throat> Drunk, uh, drunk Lauren how, Collier, how often did you visit Clearwater, Florida as a child? I used to go there uh, once a year. My father would, uh, maybe twice a year, actually. Twice a year, we would have medical conventions there. So we go to Bush Gardens, we go to SeaWorld, go do all the stuff, go to the beach. It was really fun. Um, and But I had no idea it had anything involved with Scientology whatsoever. <laughs> like, I had no idea. They absolutely protected him, Kathleen. Do you follow Mike Rinder or anyone else? Uh I do not. I, I watched the show that he was on as well. Um, it is so difficult. This this looks like a good comment. Uh, Destiny Salazar says, it is so difficult to report SA and be willing to put yourself out there to be scrutinized. These women had to endure years of harassment from Scientology and DMS and, and DMs Hollywood friends. Yes, I agree. Very brave women who stuck it out, went through absolute hell. And this doesn't have anything to do with, um, this doesn't have anything to do with Scientology per se. As a blanket statement, as a general, generally speaking, any woman who comes out in defense of herself against these type of allegations, essay, etc falls under massive scrutiny and massive excoriation and and just the these chorus of sycophants that follow these people especially if they're well known and famous and they have legions of fans the way that they go after people and this has nothing to do with with a church affiliate religious affiliation or anything this is just in general the way that people come after people is horrific and especially when they are survivors of this type of thing SA, DV, they're often not believed. They're also often scrutinized to high heaven and they're often treated in ways that is so vicious and 
heartbreaking because they just want justice. They just want people to believe them. They just want to be left alone. And then they just, they blow up their whole worlds. And a lot of them do this a lot of times to help raise awareness for other victims uh, and other survivors. And I give them massive credit for undergoing uh, such, such things because it really is, it really is a very hard road to hoe for sure. For sure. Uh, all right, guys. Thank you all so much uh, for tuning in. Uh, I want to say a big thank you to all my subscribers, all of my channel members here on YouTube, all of my Patreon supporters. Without you guys, this podcast uh, would not be possible. This channel would not be possible without your generous support. For everyone who bought super stickers, super chats in today's uh, chats, thank you all so much. Your support means it really means the world to me. It allows me to continue doing this. I, I mean, I'm not kidding. Because you guys choose to support, it helps. Even the smallest amount, it really, really helps. If you if you feel like donating, but at the little at the at the at the smallest, if you could, at the least, just please click like, please click subscribe and click that alert bell so you are notified. I go live here on YouTube every Wednesday and Thursday, 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific. Check me out. New episodes of the Survivor Squad podcast that I co-host with Tara Newell are available wherever you get your podcasts from. They are available on Thursdays and Fridays. We release new episodes, part one and part two. New episodes of Moving Past Trauma podcast on wherever you get your podcast from are released every Saturday. You will probably be listening to this same live on the audio version where you can get wherever you get your podcasts from. I want to say thank you all so much for tuning in. This has gone a little longer than I had, uh, than I had thought, but um, it is really great. Thank you everyone who's engaged in the chats and the comments. If you would, please let, uh, drop a, of course, drop a like, but please leave a comment below. You guys, your interactions is always so, uh, so fun to see. And I love engaging with you in the comments below. So please, if you wouldn't mind, please do so leave a comment. Let me know what you guys think, because it's not all about me and my opinion. It's also about you guys and your opinion, because I'm here to share, you know, my unique lens into true crime and the world, uh, mental health and society and culture with you guys. But, uh, I love hearing what you have to say. On that note, I'm Collier Landry, and this is Moving Past Trauma. Thanks, y'all. This podcast is made possible by support from listeners just like you. For exclusive content around this podcast, please consider supporting me via Patreon by going to collierlandry.com forward slash support. Please subscribe via Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts from, and please leave us a five-star review. If you want to see video episodes of this podcast, please check out my YouTube channel at youtube.com forward slash Collier Landry. You can find links to additional resources in the show notes of today's episode. This podcast is a production of Don't Touch My Radio, copyright Collier Landry.